Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Amen. Dave, I'll hand over to you, mate. Thank you. A very good morning to you. Uh, it's a bit of a slow, sort of we've had an hour extra sleep, not quite sure what to do. Sugar levels are going all over the place. We're not quite where we are. Hey. My name's Dave. I'm Dave Gardner. Uh, I just live around the corner on lovely Wilberforce Street. And it's not far away at all, so it's very easy to get here on time, which is good. And um, it's good to be with you. I'm a, what's called the Director of Mission and Ministry in the Diocese of St. Edmundsbury and, and Ipswich. Isn't that fantastic? That sounds really grand. If you put that on a business card, it goes on forever. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I've been a vicar for a lot of years, and, uh, and I was uh, ordained in oh, 1987, and uh, that's how long I've been ordained. Um, so that's great. And my passion, my job, actually, as I said last week, is to remind the 2% and go to Anglican churches... I know the figures, that the 98% exist. Now, I know some of those 98% are here because they're not going to Anglican churches, they're going to Baptist churches, which is fantastic, and Methodist, and, and Roman Catholic, and URC, and all sorts of others. But actually, the figures are about 5% of people attend a church or a chapel in Suffolk, and 95% don't. So my job, actually, across the whole of the diocese, which is Suffolk minus Lowestoft, don't ask, and um, is basically to remind the 5% that do attend churches and chapels, the 95% exist. And God's got on his heart that 95%. That's my job. I'm answerable directly to the bishops, and so I speak regularly to them, and I, I wander around all the churches. So today I'm here, tonight I'm back at my old church in St. John's Woodbridge, where me and Karen were for 14 years. It's a real treat to be back with them again, and to think about how we encourage each other, and thinking how we make this a priority to reach out into this generation with the good news of Jesus Christ. It's amazing grace we just sang about. So stay with me. You've had an extra hour, so you're really raring to go. I don't know what you did with that extra hour. and You're really raring to go. Stay with me. We're going to look at this passage in Matthew. Before you do that, I want you to turn to someone you don't know very well and say who you are and share with them what is your favorite TV program and why. Okay? What is your favorite TV program and why? Someone you don't know too well, that would be good.
Okay. Let's draw together again. That's got some buzz going. Mention the word TV and everyone can talk and everyone can, everyone can engage. You notice how I didn't talk about Ipswich Town and we mentioned them last week and that wasn't very good, uh, but this week was good. And so just hold that thought of your favourite TV programme and why my favourite TV programme, one of my favourites, is 24 Hours in A&E. Yeah, there we go. 24 hours in A&E. Now, this may sound rather sad, and Karen goes, it's all very gloomy. You know, I like 99, what's your emergency? I like all these sort of, I don't know, I suppose I'm a people person. And often I go, being in a diocesan job, I go to various meetings. Some of the meetings are more exciting than others. They're all very good meetings, and they're all very purposeful, Bishop. We really love them. Uh, but, <laughs> so, and, and I come back sometimes after an evening meeting, or I've been out various places, and to actually just actually get around a cup of tea and actually sit down 24 hours in A&E, it reminds you of actually the fragility of life and people's stories, of what's really, really important. That's why I like it. And the passage we just had read for us today, when this teacher of the law comes and says, what's the greatest commandment? What's really, really important? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul, and love your neighbour as yourself. That's what's important. And today we're just going to look a little bit at that passage, which you know very well. It's straight, very straightforward, very simple. This could be a five-minute sermon, or it could be a 45-minute sermon. All those in favour of five minutes? Hands down, no, 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 okay. But really, actually, sometimes we live our lives. It's interesting that we've just been given an extra hour. The government has decided that we're going to move clocks, and all of a sudden we've grown younger by an hour. Well, we haven't really, have we? <laughs> but it seems as though, what do we do with that hour? But actually, reality is, when you go and watch that program and see that people suddenly, in the midst of life, they suddenly find out, actually, they've got to really work out what's really important. Who's important in their lives? What's really important about what they do? This week I watched a program. There's a lady, Mary, similar age to me. And um, she was uh, not married and she was tied to her job, loved her job. And one minute she was on her phone, literally on the bed in the A&E ward, uh, sorting out her inbox. She was worried at the office that these things which had collapsed and she was sort of recovered. One of these sort of heart things that sort of your heart fluctuates in the rhythm and they couldn't quite work out what was going on. And she was literally on the phone talking about her inbox and making sure the replies were on and all the rest of it because that's how she was wired. That's how she was working out. And then literally the cameras then showed her and her heart rate dropped to about 30. And all of a sudden she was in serious danger of dying. Now, I'm not trying to put the scare factor on amongst us, but we just never know, do we? We gained an hour today, but we don't know if this is our last hour, if it's our first hour, whatever it is, we don't know. So we've got a commission from God to be the great church he wants us to be. Rick Warren once said, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will make a great church. A great commitment, the great commandment we look at, and a great commission will make a great church. I've never forgotten that. This what is really, really important. Rick Warren also, because I like Rick Warren, you, you'll notice that a little bit, um, also said this, a church's health is measured by its sending capacity, not its seating capacity. I like that. A church's health is measured by its sending capacity, not its seating capacity. If you are measured by your seating capacity, wow. <laughs> but actually the health of this church, the church is all that we're responsible for in Anglican Church, actually it's about how we're sent. Because the whole gospel, the whole message of the Jesus, the whole essence of the Christian faith is that we're all on a journey, on a mission with God. 
We're joining in God's mission each step of the way. I want to give you three simple ways we can join in that mission this week, exactly where you are looking at this passage. If you look at this passage, you'll see in verse 34, hearing that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. They didn't like each other. You'll notice that. We won't go into that, but that's what it's about. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Notice this, first of all, that Jesus engages in conversation with people outside the life of the church. So the first thing we can do to engage in God's mission is engage in conversation with those outside the life of the church. You think, well, that's rather obvious, but actually intentionally engage. Notice where Jesus is. It's probably, we know from the other gospel writers, because Matthew carries this and Luke in another section carries it. Mark carries this and Luke carries this. In Mark's gospel, it's very clear they're in the temple courts. That's where Jesus is. Remember from last week, those who were here, that Jesus entered into Jerusalem as king, very obviously. The crowds are shouting out, and, but the opposition is growing louder. Jesus cast out the many changes in the temple. The people didn't like that. The religious people didn't like that. And they're coming with a series of questions to test him out. This is another one. In Mark's gospel, it's put more, rather more positively. But nevertheless, it's occurring in the temple courts. This is where there's open to debate. The word debate is used in Mark's account of this same passage. Where are the places that people can engage with us in debate? Not just here when we're gathered, but actually out on the street. Actually, in our everyday life, tomorrow, wherever you may be, do they know that you are a committed Christian? Uh, one trick we used to do as ministers sometimes is, is turn up in people's workplaces with a dog collar on. Hi, good to see you. <laughs> and all of a sudden, oh, oh yes, hi. <laughs> it sort of outs you a little bit. Many, many years ago, me and Karen met in the Royal Air Force, and uh, I was a Christian, commit Christian from uh, St. Helens up in Lancashire. And my mate from the uh, army said, what I'll do is I'll make sure when you join the Air Force is to make sure that the uh, chaplain, not the not chaplain, but is a, um, a, a guy who represents a Christian organization called Sazra, he'll come and see you. And he did. There I was on basic tra- trade training at RF Witten and with all my mates around me. They, thankfully, they did know I was a Christian. I had actually outed myself actually in that place as a Christian. But then in walked Brian in his uniform, very clearly a Christian, coming walking straight to me in the barrack room. It's very obvious now that I'm a marked man. (laughs) What's it like if we actually engage in actual conversation in a regular basis where we're open to debate with others who want to debate what's really important in life? I face this in my life. How do you answer that? How do you answer that in the workplace? How do you have the opportunity to do so? How would they know that they could come to you? I said last week that when Jesus engaged with people, there was never a nil response. It's either a very positive response or a pretty negative response. It wasn't a sort of a... Hmm. And I sometimes worry in our churches that we accept a sort of... Oh, doesn't really matter. We'll have our services... I mean, you do a fantastic lot of sermon series. I've investigated your website, and you've got about 50-odd of them. <laughs> it's an amazing amount of web, a sermon series you've got. It's got to go a little bit beyond that, though, hasn't it? It's got to be applied into the whole of life. I'm sure Sam has been saying that time and time again. How do we actually have those conversations, that open conversations? This teacher of the law 
is testing him. Mark, it suggests that perhaps he was being more positive. In Luke's gospel, it actually places this same sort of passage and it teaches, it leads into the, the, the speaking about the good, the good Samaritan, the power of the Good Samaritan. It doesn't matter which gospel it is, there's always this engagement with those outside the life of the church. So here's a challenge for you this week. Can you have one conversation a week about Jesus with somebody outside the life of the church? Not a day, just one conversation a week about the life of Jesus. Now, sometimes you may have to sort of make it happen, (laughs) because you've said so now, or sometimes it just happens. As you've noticed, those are very observant amongst you. From last week to this week, you've noticed a major change. Yes, I've changed my shirt. That's a good sign. Actually, I've had a haircut. Yeah, yeah, I'm very smart. And Ella, who cut my hair, Ella used to go to River of Life Church. Ella talked for 15 minutes or however long it takes to, not a lot, as you can tell, <laughs> however long it takes to talk all the time about how that had influenced her life. Although she doesn't go anymore, she still goes and helps with the shoeboxes. Although she doesn't go anymore, she still went to the concert they had with a Christian band who do cover versions of it, and she really thought that was super, super cool. Although she doesn't go any longer, she still actually seeks to care for her family and her friends, and very clearly was quite a caring person from what she was telling me. There was just one conversation yesterday as I was sat having my hair cut about faith. Now you say, well, it's easy for you. You're a vicar. That pops out all over the place. Yes, it, to a certain extent it does. But it doesn't stop you saying where you were today, tomorrow, does it? What did you do this weekend? Some people, I went play golf. I did this, blah, 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 blah. Or even you say, yeah, that conversation starter, you know, what's your favorite TV program? I say, well, I'm interested in people. I'm interested in what's really important in life. What's really important in my life is to love God and to love each other. That's what I think is important. What do you think is important? Quite straightforward, really. So could you set yourself the task of having one conversation with somebody outside the life of the church about Jesus this week? That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? You can do that anywhere. It's not have to be, if you like, what we call when you're scattered. You're still the church. We're still church when we're not actually here. This is the meeting place, the marketplace, as John Wimber used to say. That's what it's about. Can we have that conversation? This teacher of the law comes, comes to him and says, Can, you know, tell me what's the greatest command. Okay, is that to test you? Okay, is that to trap him? But Jesus engages. Notice this. Jesus doesn't go, go away. He engages. Are we willing to engage? We move on. This next bit. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. If our first way of actually engaging in God's mission is actually to have these regular conversations, our second way is to concentrate on what's really important. We concentrate on what's really important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He draws one out. There's over 600 laws and commands in the Old Testament. And the rabbis at the time and teach the law would have endless debates about what was more important or not. They would categorize them between hard laws and easy laws, or if you like, weighty laws. And there's some danger sometimes in, in discussing to endless detail, and the Pharisees got into this, into the jot and tittle of every law, but not actually getting the spirit of the law, getting what was behind it. And Jesus summarizes it in these words. Now, this was very familiar. This is what would be said at the start of every synagogue service. The start of the day and in the evening. The full quote from Deuteronomy says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That was said if you started of every service. And it was, became known as the Shema. Because the Hebrew word for the first word, here, is Shema. It's here. And it's those patterns that captures, don't they? I come from an Anglican background and we have at the start of the service uh, the, the, the confession very early on. And this, this passage is, is, is said every time. The summary of the law is given in every service. It becomes part of you. It becomes part of what, what it's about. But it's got to be lived out in the whole of life. If you go back into Deuteronomy where it comes from, it's not just something that's said in a service that's repeated it's actually meant to live out in your lives. So you work out what's really important in the whole of your lives. It carries on. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts, it says in Deuteronomy. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. It's as though we start the day thinking of this, but it's also as we just about our everyday lives. The passage goes on, you know, wear it on your head. And if you go around North London and see the Orthodox Jews, they wear the little boxes on the head, don't they? And on the arm. They've got the law, literally, they take it literally. They have little bits of scripture by the doorposts. It's again, if you read in Deuteronomy, it's all from there. In other words, it's a lived out faith. You see it, it's visible. Now, we just had Karen's sister around with her son and daughter-in-law and their little one with us yesterday. And we'd always have them, we have a meal, we always say grace. No matter who comes to our household, whether they're Christian or not, that's what we do. <laughs> it's what we do. It's what's really important. That's only a little way of doing it, but in what ways can we do that in our lives? What's really important? Do we start the day with that view of asking God, Lord, show us what you're doing today. Help us to discern what it is that you're doing this day. How can we understand that? So if you like, we hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. With all your heart, if you like. With all your passion, it says in Eugene Peterson. <laughs> that's what he's talking about. With all your soul, your prayer life, your spiritual life, everything that's the, your, your, your sense of identity that's within you. And with all your mind, with your intellect, everything is that's what you seek to do. So the whole of your, your, each day is framed by that. The weak is framed by that. The whole of life is framed by that. As I said last week, we don't have this secular, sacred divide that we have Sunday when we do the church bit and then we have the rest of the week, which we just try and get through. <laughs> Actually, it's the whole of life. God's mission is involved in the whole of life. So I was with somebody the other day in, in, who's trying to establish a work-based discipleship program across the whole of Ipswich. Because a lot of people come to Ipswich, they don't live in Ipswich, but they come and work in Ipswich. So we're thinking, how do we connect with these people who work in Ipswich, where we spend most of our time with people? They can't avoid you. <laughs> you can avoid Christians everywhere else, but they can't avoid you at work. <laughs> You're right there amongst them. How can we effectively and appropriately seek to bring the importance of God's uh, mission into the workplace? How do we affect the way uh, organizations are structured, your workplaces are structured? How do we speak up for what's right and proper? How do we view, how do we look at the, the workplace in those views? What about your wider family? How do you see that? How do you see that what God sees? Can you see them as God sees them? This is what I mean about putting God first. Of getting our priorities right, concentrate on what's really important. 
And these, sense of, these things that I do, I've, I've done since I've been a Christian, really, is that each day starts with that reading of the Scripture because it reminds me of the faithfulness we need to the past. It's a living and active word. So I need to remind myself what the actual Bible actually says. That's why I look at this in great detail. So I know, for instance, in this passage, there are three versions of it. In, in Matthew, we've got it here, and Mark, and in Luke. There's bits of variety between them. So I look at it intently. Each day in the Anglican tradition, we would read the psalm as well. And the psalms are great because they're very honest. <laughs> you know, they're sort of, where are you, God? <laughs> you know, you get 40-odd verses of, woe is me. And then at the end, praise the Lord. <laughs> that's, that's, that's sometimes how life is. And sometimes when I'm reading my passage in the morning, all I can get to is just one of those 40-odd verses. That's just where I'm at. But it's a sense, it's an intentional sense. I'm trying to set the day as I'm seeing it through God's eyes, I'm engaging in God's mission, whatever our context, whether it's in the family, whether it's in the community, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's socializing, whatever the age, whatever the background, it doesn't make a jot of difference. But it's not just a faithfulness to the past, it's also a faithfulness to God's future. Patrick Kyleheart speaks about this in Where Are We Now? And says that sometimes we operate, if you like, as, as functional atheists. We live our lives, actually, in reality, in our big decision-making about mortgages, about what we do with careers and all the rest of it, we live our lives actually most of the time not actually thinking about God's perspective. We just use our own mind and our thoughts rather than asking what is God saying in this. How do we discern what's God doing? As soon as we come into church circles or we're in a church group, then we might do that. But actually for most of our lives, most of our everyday lives, we don't do it, he would argue, he would claim. We need to think about God's future, not just faithfulness to the past, but God's faithfulness to what the future he's got in store for you. As I said in my favorite TV program, you don't know how long that future is, so let's use it well. (laughs) Do you want the whole of your life to be summed up by what you're doing currently? Or is this something else? Is this a calling on your life that God's pushing you towards, you've been ignoring for some time, and said, this is really important for you. And I want you to step into it. My good friend Mike Breen says that you bring the kingdom in one step at a time. Every time you take a step of obedience into God's future, God's preferred future for you, you're bringing in the kingdom. That's what it is. That's part of our sending capacity. The capacity today is not restricted by the size of the actual physical building. It's about our willingness to be obedient to his will for our futures. That's how we get engaged in God's mission. We have these conversations, deliberate conversations with those outside the life of the church. I'm suggesting that all of us, including myself, seek to have at least one a week with somebody outside the life of the church that the name of Jesus is mentioned in a good way, we hope. But secondly, we also think about how we make sure we're doing what we concentrate on what's really important. This hero Israel, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all that you have. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your whole identity is caught up with being a son and daughter of Jesus Christ, a son of God, and you want to see his kingdom come and you're part of that kingdom. That's what Jesus announced at the beginning of Matthew. The kingdom of God is near and we're going to enter into it. We spell one more step. That's what we need to take. And then, of course, he adds something. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus now is no longer quoting from, from Deuteronomy. He's quoting from another part of the Torah, from Leviticus. It's that sense of actually you can't actually love God. It doesn't make sense unless it shows itself in loving other people. One commentator says this. A man cannot love God in any real sense without loving his neighbor made in God's image like himself. It's got to be seen. It's got to be demonstrated. What you see on 24 hours in A&E is that those who really love that person who's gone through this crisis come around the bed. That's what you see. What you see is the compassion of the medical profession who are seeking to do their very best to people in very difficult circumstances. That's what you see. What you see is the, the, the expression of love and care between the staff for each other when they've gone through traumatic circumstances for themselves and they reflect on that very honestly, how they faced maybe bereavement or illness or whatever a crisis that they've gone through. One chap this week was talking about when he went through a medical situation for himself and no longer was a nurse, but he was a patient. He said, we make the worst patients. <laughs> but actually what really mattered was that love of those who were closest to them. That's what counts. We can speak as many words as we like. We can preach as many sermons as we want. But unless we demonstrate it in actual acts of love, it means nothing. Or the theological phrase I use is diggly squat. <laughs> doesn't mean anything. It's got to be seen in practical action. And that's why Jesus in Luke's gospel then goes on to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. When he was asked, well, who is my neighbor then? <laughs> tell me who it is. And that wonderful story that we, many of us know so well. And, and it's that sense of, well, actually, it's whoever God is working amongst. It can be the most unlikely people can demonstrate that love, can demonstrate something of God's mission in their heart and their lives. I'm amazed by how people can do that and how we can actively be engaged in that. This week I've been talking to Julia Hancock, who's uh, part of Selig Trust, who puts on the, uh, the winter night shelter. And that sense of how we can actually demonstrate something of God's love here in Ipswich. It's a fantastic initiative to be involved in, isn't it? To be part of something of that nature that seeks to demonstrate in a very real way. And she's telling me some of the stories of how she gets involved, not just in the three months uh, that we have guests amongst us uh, who seek shelter during the winter months, but actually ongoing in their lives. And she meets people on the street who she sees and she's still engaged in their lives and seek to try and change behavior patterns, how to seek to try and love and care and demonstrate that care. And that's what counts. Of all the schemes in the world, all the but if we don't demonstrate that actual love to each other and love to those outside the life of the church, then, then we are, what does it say, as a, as a, as a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. It's empty. It's got to show something. We know that because it says that as you've been loved yourself. How would you like to be treated? How would you like to be treated? Treat others as, you know, how you like to be treated. But go beyond that. Grace, I think, goes even beyond the golden law. And says it goes beyond that. Grace is giving people what they don't deserve. Even when they're not always very nice to you or they're not always very kind to you, whatever that might be. It goes beyond the tribe. I've been thinking of people who really think about these things structurally because part of my job is to think about how we as a churches across the denominations here in Ipswich and elsewhere, how do we actually engage with the thousands of people who currently are not attending a church or a chapel? It's about 140,000 in Ipswich, roughly speaking, depends what figure you take. 
And it's reckoned that you need at least about one church per 4,000 to have a viable congregation. And each congregation should be about 120. This is all church growth, church growth stuff. Don't worry about it. It's just, it's just there in my head. Do you know we need about another 35 churches in Ipswich? We need about another 35 churches in Ipswich, I reckon. Not churches, just church buildings. I mean, worshiping communities who are engaging in God's mission in this way. We need at least 35. We need about another 90 or 100 pioneers who are willing to engage with networks and discrete groups that we currently don't, don't work with very much at all. It's a passion I've got for Ipswich. We're, not, we're barely scratching the surface. We're doing some great work, but we can engage in this. And this is across all denominations. We need all of us to be involved in this. Not just the Baptists and just the Anglicans. We need all of us to be engaged in God's mission here and now. One of my um, favorite, one of my various people that I admire, Alf Cooper, you may have heard of him, is a bishop in Chile and he grew churches. And every time it grew to 100, he tithed his people. He tithed 10 people. Not tithed as many, he tithed 10 people to go and plant another church. I think that's fantastic. And together they've had got 23 church plants because of doing this. HTB, Holy Trinity Brompton, uh, in London, well known for the Alpha Course. Do you know it's planted 41 churches since 1985? And 30, 30, 31 of them have been in London, and now 10 are in cities across the country. From one church that at one period in its life was actually thinking about closure. Seriously, you may not realize that, but that if you go back in its history, that's what was actually happening. That's amazing, I think. <laughs> It's a multiplication ministry. It's a giving away ministry. It's its sending capacity, not its seating capacity. It's not building mega church. It's actually sending it out. But it's Alf Cooper, our HTB. Another friend of mine leads a church dedicated to young people in St. Lawrence, Reading. Well, the, the Townsend, the church, the, the numbers had dwindled to next to nothing. So the diocese, its wisdom in, in Reading, they gave it over to this uh, person to actually set up a youth church for youth congregation. And that's mushrooming and blossoming. He's now the Archbishop's Advisor for Evangelism. <laughs> Alongside being the youth worker in St. Lawrence, Reading. Do you not think this is good? I think this is really good. I'm getting excited now. It's a really sense of actually God is on the move in this country because my passion is for here. And here I'm meaning Ipswich, Wilberforce Street, Burlington Road Baptist, St. John's Woodbridge. I'm meaning all of us together. To see the 660,000 who live in Suffolk, that's the diocese minus lower stuff, we won't go there. Um, that sense of seeing a real change. So we go away from this 2 and 5% to actually seeing just a bigger tipping point. You don't need to get many more to change society. Actually, sociologists will tell you this to change society. We're still the biggest voluntary organization in the county. Do you know that, as Christians? There are more people worshipping churches this morning than there were at Portman Road the other week. Seriously, there are. And we sometimes hear, oh, we're going down. We're going. Yes, there's, there's, there are signs in those things, but there are many signs I can tell you about. I could tell you about Di, who we appointed a pioneer at Red Lodge uh, just the other week, and uh, she's come in from Clapham in London. Uh, Red Lodge is a, a little area just outside Milden Hall. It's grown up from a truck stop to about four or 5,000 population. Tiny little Methodist chapel. We're working together in partnership with them. So Di's a little pioneer. She's a lay person. No, no training whatsoever. <laughs> She's on fire for God. She's a gran. She's actually come to live in that housing, new housing area where there's no community and already I was on her steering group last, last, last week and the amazing work she's already done inside, inside a month. 
because she's engaging, having conversations with people outside the local church. She's trying to see what God is doing and putting what's really important first and actually trying to demonstrate that love that we can actually hear about in this passage. God is on the move in Suffolk. Are you going to be part of that? Yes, you are. You already are. Rick Warren said, the strength of a church is not its seating capacity, it's its sending capacity. I would love to hear when I get invited back again, as I'm sure I will do. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> I would love to hear about Burlington Road sending people out. Sending people out, giving people away. Connecting still, still part of the family, still part of what it's about, still part of here, but slowly but surely sending people out. One of the joys that I have in my job now, having been at St. John's Woodbridge for 14 years, is hearing the number of people at St. John's Woodbridge who are doing this, that and the other. I tell you, it makes me a little bit proud. I think God's okay with that. <laughs> that sense of, I just hear about what people are doing, and I go quietly to the bishop, yeah, yeah, they were from St. John's Woodbridge. Oh, they were from St. <laughs> Did you notice they were from, no. <laughs> That's willingness to serve and send. I mix with people from Christians of different denominations and find out that actually they're okay. <laughs> to mix with people outside the life of the church and actually find out that they're searching for God and that's okay. To mix with people outside the life of the church and find God's already actually involved in that and actually he might be calling you to step into something new because you just gained an extra hour of your life. So what are you going to do with the rest of it? Let's bow our heads to pray. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourselves. Lord, we've heard this so many times. It's part and parcel of what we believe. And we pray, Lord, that we may live it. We pray, Lord, that we may engage in your mission here in Suffolk, here in Ipswich. We may seek those conversations that we may have this week with those outside the life of the church where your name is honored and Jesus mentioned. We may really listen to you each day about what's really important in our lives. How can we make you first? How can our identity be so wrapped up in putting you first in everything? In the small steps that we take, each step brings in the kingdom. How can we demonstrate that love by giving away what we have? Our time, our energy, our talents, our abilities, however you want us to use them. Lord, help us remember that you're in the midst of this. That where two or three are gathered, there you are. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.